0: When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com
1: started off as being very attracted to other girls. And I didn't really start to be attracted to boys until probably my mid-teens.
2: This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly.
1: We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it.
2: There's
3: chemistry in here. There's biology in here.
2: It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. That's the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the show where science rules... And it's call-in show, so if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, the number to call is 470-ASK-BILL. That's 470 275 470-275-2455. To find out when to call, check me out on the old electric internet. And once again, I am joined, of course, by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey.
3: Greetings, Bill. Good to be here. Now, wait a second. I, I recognize that voice. Not not your voice. I definitely recognize your voice. But that voice uh, that we were hearing earlier, that's, that's comedian Margaret Cho. She's so good.
2: Oh, yes. And we started today's show with that clip because today we are talking about sexuality, a subject of great interest to... Well, really, (laughs) to everyone. Pretty much everybody. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And uh, joining us today uh, to talk about the science of sexuality, because this is the Science Rules podcast, Corey. Science. Yes. Yes, science. Yes. We're joined today by (laughs) Associate Professor of Psychology and Co-Director of the Gender and Sexuality Studies, of the New School for Social Research right here in New York City, Dr. Lisa Rubin. Welcome, Dr. Rubin. It's great to be here. Everybody talks about sex, but you've you've taken it up a few notches. How did you find your way into this field of human sexuality?
4: Well, I really found my way into the field of gender studies. Well, you can't really do gender studies without also talking about Sex and sexuality. You know, my background. I'm actually a clinical psychologist, and I was interested in feminist identity. What identifying as a feminist means. Um, I study sexual identity in relation to health. The field that I teach has changed, and my teaching has changed dramatically. Over, over how long? I mean, I would say over the last. I've been teaching for 15 years, but I've tried to stay relevant. Um, hopefully, I have. And uh, and I. That's partly because. I'm catching up to the students as much as I'm I'm learning with them as much as I'm teaching them, right? Especially so, in this field. Of so
2: what
0: sex has and changed? Sexuality.
4: Our understanding of gender has changed fundamentally. I mean, I I I think when I first began teaching, I I sort of gave the, you know, I would begin my class with how we talk about sex and how we talk about gender and sex is something biological and gender is something psychological and social and my understanding of sex has changed right that sex is not something meaning you know um sexual categories are not something that sort of inherently exist in nature, outside of language, outside of culture. I still emphasize that distinction between sex and gender, but in a in a bit looser of, of, of a presentation. So,
2: Doctor, on the Netflix show Bill Nye Saves the World, on which Corey was, of course, a writer later on.
3: It's a great show. It's still available for streaming, I do
2: believe. Yes, stream it. Turn it up <laughs> loud. <laughs> But the, the most uh, controversial show, for sure. Now, at Netflix, the way they work, you don't know if it's the most popular or the ratings and this and that.
3: Well, if you look at the, the social media footprint or the, the public outrage and the public acclaim, certainly the, the show that stirred people up the most.
2: So we had uh, – we were doing research the way one does when you, and we came up with this, with this gizmo – to illustrate what were called the four attributes of sexuality, and I would like to play a clip from that show, it's only a few seconds, hoping for your thoughtful response on the other side. Right now, biologists, sociologists, anthropologists, they're all trying to figure this out, and they're finding human sexuality is on a spectrum. And if you're like me, and I know I am, (laughs) you're still learning about this field of science. I used to think there were just two settings, male, and female, but it's actually a lot sexier than that. Check out the smoking hot abacus of sex. The crowd helped us out there, but it was a great big aluminum thing where we had sliding uh, spheres, very similar to a, a regular abacus that you use for computations. And we had, based on the late, what we believed was the latest research, there were four attributes. The first one, is sex, then gender, then attraction, then expression. And I think you have the same four, or do you have another one? Or maybe a a, slightly Slightly different wording, but the same concept. So, So what is sex? Let's start there. So
4: sex can mean many things, but here I think you're, you know, I assume your abacus is referring to what is typically referred to as sort of, you know, the biological assignment of male or female or intersex.
2: What is intersexuality?
4: so intersex refers to a range of sort of you know human variation that could be chromosomal right not everybody having an xx or an xy chromosome they can have an xxy you know an xo And as well,
2: more than two mm -hmm. is a discovery. Yes, exactly right.
4: The presentation of the genitals may look different. Um, The you know the way people respond to hormones may be different. So these are all the ways that intersex may manifest. And so people who are intersex may absolutely identify as male or female. Intersex is different than gender identity. Um, uh, Intersex is talking to you know is referring to you know again range of biological variation that you know doesn't sort of match the, the sort of typical or normative people who are assigned to their, uh, their, you know, their sex.
2: All right. Gender. What is gender? And we used to think, I mean, we used to think that sex and gender were the same thing. But in your world, we're separating those for clarity.
4: Exactly, right. So sex is referring to something biological. Gender is referring to something social and psychological. Um, both, you know... I think we're we're increasingly understanding exists beyond a binary.
2: I think we can all agree on attraction. That's yeah. to whom you are attracted.
4: Uh huh. So attraction. Uh, yes. Uh, to whom you're. Uh, right. Se- sexually if attracted. If you're attracted to both. Right. Exactly. Right. Bisexual. You know, fits within a binary. You know, being attracted to men and women, but not everybody identifies with a the binary themselves or in relation to their partner. So pansexual may be a better descriptor. Now, um,
2: is this have to do with arousal? <laughs> Attraction um, is ar- so
4: attract. Yeah, attraction and arousal um, are are cl- I would say close cousins, right? Okay. You know, uh, you know, arousal being more physiological, attraction being both psychological and physiological. Right.
2: And then expression is how is that how you present yourself?
4: Expression I think is both behavior, right? Because just being attracted to somebody doesn't necessarily mean. Um, acting on that attraction, just being aroused by somebody doesn't necessarily mean you know acting. So sexual um, uh, behavior, um, so sexual ex- expression um, to me would be about sexual behavior. Expression could also be about gender expression, right, which would be sort of how one expresses one's gender. So I, I guess I, I want to you're disentangle... you were calling that
3: as, as sort of part of identity.
4: Yes, exactly. So, I, you know, I, I think the four categories may sort of flatten a little bit, sex and gender. Um, What do you mean,
2: flatten, merge, merge? Yes, so that the two the the spheres on the abacus would move together. Uh huh.
4: (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, sexual orientation as we understand it is often um, grounded in um, in cisgenderism, in that you know people um,
2: cisgenderism.
4: Yes. Yes. So the sort of view, um, you know, a starting point of organizing the world in terms of an assumption that everybody is cisgender.
2: What's cisgender?
4: What's cisgender? So cisgender are people who identify with um, the sex and gender that they were assigned with at birth. So I was assigned female at birth, um, and I still identify as female.
2: I'm male. I identify as male. Yes, exactly. Do you guys still – people in your field still study Kinsey and Kinsey? Yeah. You know, Kinsey – What did they do? What is this? Can you summarize it? Yeah. I mean, so Kinsey –
4: was really the first to study uh, I, I shouldn't say the first, but I mean, but I think the most notable um, to to study on a large scale, you know sexuality, including studying sexual arousal. Um, but but, I think what Kinsey is really most famous for is is in some ways the Kinsey scale and for expanding our ways of thinking
3: the Kinsey scale. right. right. so mm-hmm. can you decode that for our listeners?
4: Right. So the Kinsey scale, you know, um, basically, in terms of thinking about language as we we're talking about, I think offered up uh, Uh, The notion of the spectrum, right, that sexuality may exist on a spectrum, And, and so in measuring sexuality, provided people with the option of responding on a spectrum, and when he did that, found that, turned out, when you provide that option, sexuality... Seem to exist more on a spectrum now. Some of Kinsey's findings have not been fully replicated, but the Kinsey scales remain. For example, what's
2: one that hasn't been? Because re- that's just come on more. Yeah, tell us yeah. More. I
4: mean, I think the 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 ten percent statistic that gets sort of you know bandied about being that across cultures and populations, ten percent of the population um, uh, is identifies as gay. And uh, and again, we didn't have the sort of Kinsey didn't have the whole LGBTQ framework, right? Le- that we have now. Um, so you know, and i'm I'm not a Kinsey expert to know, you know uh, but i i but I think he would say ten percent non heterosexual right? right, And we know that the number is is likely lower than that, right. more recent studies suggest somewhere closer to you know three and a half to four and a half percent, and at the same time that changes when we're talking about different cohorts, younger people report slightly higher levels. There are some differences across comparing men and women as well, and differences in terms of percentages who identify as heterosexual and and gay or bisexual with women being more likely to identify as bisexual
3: but the, but then how does what Kinsey was talking mm-hmm. about how does that compare to the the kind of sexuality spectrum that you were talking about earlier observe sort of way, the way you think about it today? how has mm-hmm. that thinking evolved
4: so Kinsey um did not necessarily differentiate in quite the same way right sexual uh, you know attraction sexual identity, and so that is in some ways some of the trouble with the measure in that um, one has to. Um,
2: You're taking somebody's word for it.
4: Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a self-report measure. Yeah. This is you know, and so self-report measures can really be valuable because how people perceive
2: perceive themselves, themselves
4: is very important. At the same time, how people report how they perceive themselves um, is you know is.
2: I can connect if I want to. can. Yeah. yeah, I don't really smoke. I mean, <laughs> I just have cigarettes all the time, but I don't... That right, kind exactly. I'm of, not I don't a smoker. Smoke I don't know.
4: Smoke. Now, Kinsey's research, and this, you know, asked about sexual behavior, but the, you know, the Kinsey scale, right, is sort of a mostly heterosexual, mostly, you know, it's sort of a scale around, and so it puts a single spectrum with homosexuality on one end, heterosexuality on the other end, and allows people to identify across the spectrum. People who identify as bisexual um, ten, and pansexual tend to identify the least with that way of measuring, right? Qualitative study s- sort of indicate that, uh, they feel most frustrated when presented with that scale.
2: They'd rather have more dimensions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like we took a shot with our uh, abacus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, the question, the thing that everybody wants to know, the deep, giant question mm-hmm. is, is... Uh, These spectra of of sexual attributes, are they inherited or are they learned? Mm -hmm. Is it in nature or is it nurture? And I think So what's the what's the answer doctor? What's Dr. the answer? Rubin? I mean
4: the answer is we got to stop asking the nature versus nurture question, right? In that, you know, the, the evolutionary theory itself is not about nature versus nurture. It's about nature and nurture, right? So so we know in terms of sexuality that there's a, a large genetic component, a large biological component. We know that genetics seems to explain about 30%. You know, there was a recent ge- uh, genome-wide association study that does not—there is no single gene. There is no—there's no one gay gene. Is um, there a combination? Uh, But—and um, but, it seems that there are multiple genes that, taken together, account for about 30 per—you know, about a third of the variation that we see. So
2: you do gene it, sequencing? You take blood samples or DNA samples or something?
4: Yeah, take I mean, slobs? obviously, again, this is always, you know, always about the challenge of measurements. So you 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 know you still have to look at people who self-report at some level you know whether they report behaviors or whether they report their identity and a combination of looking at you know genome wide studies right genome blood draws studies cheek,
2: cheek swabs uh-huh,
4: cheek swabs blood draws exactly but mostly cheek swabs right twenty three and me type but um, you know it doesn't mean that the other seventy percent is therefore social or environmental exclusively it just means that so far we've explained. Uh, you know, roughly a third through genetics, right?
2: Uh, can sexuality then, mm-hmm. a long, can I add the fourth dimension? Mm-hmm. This is to say, can it change over time? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. There's <laughs> certainly people that say, I, I discovered I was bisexual. Mm-hmm. I discovered I was gay. I discovered I was trans. Mm-hmm. I mean, you certainly hear that. Is, that. is that something that can switch back and forth?
4: If somebody says that they were heterosexual and then they— um, later say that they are bisexual. Have they changed or, you know, have they, you know, just like maybe I used to, you know— not like Malaysian food, and now it's my favorite food, right? Have I, you know, have I become a different kind of eater, or have I just found something different that um, all of a sudden, you know, I realize that that fits with me? And, you know, so it's sort of, again, how do we think about identity? Do we think about, you know, um, in terms of fluidity, people's sense of them, people's, and again, are we talking about behavior, you know, expression? Are we talking about identity? Are we talking about attraction? So, People may tap into different aspects of themselves, and that may cause them to change how they think about themselves. We find that in that there probably is more fluidity among women than men um, across time as well as, um, uh, you know, in terms of initial identification. Again, as I said, you know, women are more likely to identify as bisexual, um, and I'll, I'll give a what, shout-out. What's out.
2: pansexual?
4: Pansexual— um, I think, responds to thinking outside the binary. So if we, bisexual is clearly tied to a binary, you know, so somebody who likes men and women. Now that limits you. It leaves out, you know, a a large, you know, a A growing number of people. Yeah, Yeah. a recognizable number of people who um, don't necessarily identify along the binary.
3: I feel like we all understand that all kinds of aspects of of human psychology Mm -hmm. are complex and overlapping and changeable. You're not... You know, ambitious or lazy, just one or the other. The idea that sexuality has to be just one thing or the other thing and that's it and it doesn't change, intuitively, that doesn't make sense.
2: When you couch it that way, no. Yes, thank you.
0: (laughs) Stick around for more science rules after this. For the love of home. Science Rules is back.
2: And here to help us grapple with sexuality is comedian, actress, author, and designer, welcome to Science Rules, Margaret Cho! Yay!
1: Thank you! Wow, that's
2: great. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret. Margaret, <laughs> you. you and I go back, my friend. Margaret, you we and do. I, yes, you may remember being on Saves the World. Yes, uh we of were cooking. You were quite the chef, quite the uh, culinary artist. And mm-hmm. you also may remember being on the Science Guy show about populations.
5: Mm-hmm. And
2: we were. You were eating grapes because you were a population competing <laughs> for resources. It was. Yes. This is a, yes. a fabulous science point that you You, you remember make.
3: this formative experience of, uh, of of being a grape of, I, I'm did. sorry of eating a grape?
1: I, I did. And I remember also we were in a display of yours, I believe was it Disney World? And it was um I was a cloud with uh, I think Paul Rodriguez. Yes, and, you were. And you were you were it was your exhibit there. Um that was probably in the mid to early 90s. So it's been a long uh, time. Yes,
2: uh, from back in the 20th century.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Now, you. I just think I'm so happy you're willing to take the time to talk about this. Of but course. When was the first time you heard about these these four scales or four attributes of sexuality on the the sexual spectrum?
1: I don't. I mean, I think it was maybe more explained to me um, in the Kinsey scale. My family ran a bookstore that was a gay bookstore in San Francisco in the 70s. So I was maybe about um, seven or eight years old, and uh, we were um, employing a lot of gay men. And um, my mother was trying to explain to me that gay people were um, just like Straight people, and it was hard to grasp even at that age to to really understand that, but that they uh, were attracted to the same sex and had relationships with the same sex, and and um, they employed a lot of uh, gay people, lesbians, and gay men. And um, but I didn't really learn much about uh, transgender people until probably about uh, ten years later in San Francisco. There were. Um, Different people uh, I was still working at the bookstore and also um, working in different areas and starting comedy. And there were different people that I knew who were transitioning to become
3: women or men. What happened when that sort of that kind of acceptance that you were seeing in your own family when you got out to the larger world and, and ran into places where it wasn't quite so accepting?
1: Well, you know, we had, unfortunately, some incidents of violence, gay bashing around our neighborhood, which is a gay neighborhood at the time, and this is in the 70s and the 80s, and so these incidents were um, growing more common. And then there was, um, of course, the terrible advent of AIDS, which um, you could see the problem that society had with the disease and the coverage of it, and the way that people talked about being gay during that time, you know, and it was a very... um, it, it, it was something that my parents had warned me about, saying that a lot of people were very, very homophobic, and you were going to see much of this as we, we grow up and we look at the world and, and see what happens. So, you know, they, they set me up for it, and I think that they also knew that I was gay myself. I'm actually bisexual. So I, I, I think they were sort of trying to help me out by saying that they understood.
2: How do you discover you're bisexual,
1: I think that for me it started off as being very attracted to other girls um because I formed friendships that were very intense with other girls when I was a younger person and a kid basically that um were uh, you know would result in crying fits and I have to I have to be with her I have to be with her and you know it wasn't even like it was a relationship exactly but it was just a lot like intense attachment and I didn't really start to be attracted to boys until um, probably uh, my mid teens, so my initial introduction to those kinds of very overwhelming crush type feelings were towards girls in the beginning. I think that people thought that I was gay, you know, that I um definitely had that uh, kind of um, kind of thought about me that people really just made that assumption. Um, I think that that helped to kind of form the way that I kind of felt about myself, you know, that I felt more comfortable in that position but then also later when I became attracted to boys it was very confusing and then I was like what am I I don't I didn't even know where to begin of where to start because you know when you have an idea about yourself and then it changes it's very confusing
3: so so by the time you were performing on stage I mean did you feel like you could be accepted
1: yes um that was the one area that I felt really comfortable I think also because a lot of the women in comedy that I knew were uh lesbians You know, um, and, uh, like I opened for Ellen at the time, um, you know, and this is long before she was, uh, no, you know, known by, you know, everyone and, and before her television show. And I, I also worked with Rosie O'Donnell. And so I felt comfortable because the, the image of women in comedy, um, and my favorite comedian at that time was Paula Poundstone. She was so smart and she didn't, um, even have to talk about sexuality, that there was something that was distinctly asexual about her. And I I really identified with that.
2: As you may know, Margaret, this is a call-in show. Yes. And we are excited to have in-callers, people calling in. And Mm -hmm. I believe we have out there uh, Nathan. Nathan, are you on the line? And where are you calling from?
5: Yes, hi. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. I grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy. And uh, stoked to be able to talk to the science guy. Uh, I never thought I'd be able to do that. So well, Thank so much you, much man. <laughs> I love you,
2: man. Welcome to the show. Welcome.
5: I'm calling from Bradenton, Florida.
2: There you go. All right. And you have a question.
5: Yes. Uh, my question is, what does acceptance of the LBGT lifestyles do for mankind as a species from an evolutionary standpoint? Uh, where might natural selection come into play here, and what uh, you know? Where does the versatile, a more versatile family, take us as a species in a hundred years from now?
2: Well, the whole thing in evolution is your offspring. So if you right. uh, if you uh, don't have any kids, then uh, uh, whatever choice you make socially is uh, will get uh, left in the past. There isn't a single gay gene, but one uh, cannot help but observe all the cultural influences on uh, people of all sexual orientations. And it also may be a so-called combination of genes that are, it's actually quite complex and not just a binary on-off sort of thing. Do you have any ideas? Have you observed anything about that, Margaret?
1: We're not absolutes. So you can maybe... You have a tendency, like for me, it's 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 a little bit difficult because it is like whether I, I'm attracted to men or women. I'm attracted to both. And so it's more um maybe the conditioning that I had growing up that helped me feel freer about my decisions, about that I don't have to make a real decision. That that may uh have helped me, that there was a kind of acceptance around homosexuality and the idea that. I could be more fluid in my expression and, and who I was. Um, so I think, uh, your, your, your family or origin, how they feel about what this is all going on. Like that, that, that might kind of inform your decisions, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I I don't, I I don't believe that there is a gay gene, although there are quite a lot of gay people. So I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing, Nathan, I just say, uh, uh, Doing a uh, an, uh, an accounting, the more energy we put into oppressing people, or the modern thing everybody's into is bullying people, or uh, or denigrating people, the less energy we have to do something productive. So uh, I would say, in a hundred years, if we are more accepting of people of all orientations, I think everybody comes out ahead. Why waste energy? Just right,
3: uh, right. live I, your life. I I uh, I live in. I mean, it's it's a fairly progressive part of Brooklyn, but I also see a, a sort of a larger change going on, a, kind of across American culture. Uh, I I have two daughters, one in elementary school, one in middle school, and you know th- they are growing up in an environment where it's not just you know, relatively non-judgmental about homosexuality, but also about kind of very accepting about the fluidity of gender uh, of of gender identity. The main thing I see is that kids who probably would have been stressed out or repressed or somehow in other ways uh, kind of tamping down something about themselves, feel that they can express it, follow where it goes, and it's not that big a deal. Uh, And I do think that on a large scale, that's going to be helpful. I don't know. And Margaret, do you see – are you seeing what I'm seeing? Do you feel like there is a change in the culture here?
1: Yes, and I also noticed a lot of younger people coming out as non-binary, which I think is really interesting because it's like that now – we're um, not so beholden to these um, really st- stringent attitudes about gender and, and expression of gender. And so I, I think that's really freeing and really exciting.
2: So do you have any uh, – Nathan, are you a product of a, uh, of a non-standard, non-traditional family?
5: I am not. I actually grew up in a very traditional family and, uh, but we're just, I'm very open and embracing of it. Uh, my daughter's, uh, godparents are actually a transgender couple. Uh, we actually just spent the weekend with them, uh, went to a strawberry festival, uh, near Lakeland in plant city here in, uh, Florida. So, uh, we're real good friends. My wife grew up with her friend and, uh, her partner who is transgender and they're wonderful people. And, uh, proud to know them and, and, and be affiliated with them. And, uh, you know, my, my biggest optim, you know, optimistic outlook with the change of lifestyles and uh, the, the change of temperature in the culture is what it really does for broken homes as far as, you know, my wife's family does foster care or did foster care at one point, adopted five kids. And when you start looking at a more stable and open home, Uh, that can adopt kids, you know, more available families, stronger families. Um, I'm really optimistic on on things that we could be seeing here down the future as more and more communities become open to the idea of a more uh, versatile family model.
2: More, uh, I think the word is progressive. Mm. As we progress, progress. yes, Mm -hmm. as society progresses. I think uh, we are living at a unique time uh, because of the speed of change. You know, I was in Australia for the first time a year and a half ago and everybody was very excited that Australia had passed a um, gay marriage law. And uh, the people were excited about it because expressing an extraordinary opinion, you just wear yourself out fighting these things. It it uh, uh, let's roll with it for crying out loud. But anyway, <laughs> hey Nathan, thanks for taking uh, for asking a question and thank you so much for sharing your family story. Now this brings us to, uh, to to a question from Autumn. I think Autumn has a, a heck of a thing to ask here. Autumn, are you out there? Hello? Yes, Autumn. Autumn, hello. You're on the line here uh, with Science Rules. Where are you calling from?
5: Uh, Minnesota.
2: Fabulous. Where in Minnesota? Um, down
5: towards the Minneapolis area, but a little bit southern.
2: Uh, okay. And you have a question? Yes.
5: Yeah. I was wondering if sexuality can change over time or if it always stays the same.
2: Does your sexuality change over the course of your life? That is a heck of a question. Big question. Margaret, do you have any thoughts?
1: I believe it does. I mean, it certainly did for me, and it's continually changing. Um, You know, not in really very big ways, but in ways that I understand. Um, But yes, and I think um, also the way that uh, Hormonally, you know that your your life changes in in so many ways. You know, I just turned fifty, and I find that menopause is a gateway drug because <laughs> it's very different now.
2: You started out attracted to girls, mm-hmm. then you were attracted to boys, then you're attracted yes. to both. Yes. So your over your lifetime, it does cha- it has changed rather, and this mm-hmm. would be on the scale of decades, right? Or yes, yeah. So when you say menopause is a gateway drug what what gateway is it um is it uh, allowing you to pass through or over I think over?
1: it's it, it's into a place of um feeling like you're almost um beyond sex that it's 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 beyond gender and it's beyond uh this idea of uh procreation or anything like physical that it becomes a very spiritual quest you know that that your body lets go of a lot of the strong hormones that drove it to do certain things, you know, that drove it towards certain eventualities, whether that is um, having kids or having a family, that it's it's beyond that. So to me, being in this place of um, being a menopausal woman, I, I feel very different than I have in my entire life. In a way, somewhat asexual, somewhat genderless, and then also very strong within that gender, it's it's really interesting. I think it now the attraction has gone beyond um, these ideas of who I was attracted to before, what I wanted before. Now there's like a definite before and after, and now it's definitely expanded. So I, I think it's like attracted to everything and everyone and in a way that's actually not sexual, which is really weird.
0: Science Rules will be right back. You're listening to Science Rules.
2: But if you can hear this sound. Oh, yeah. Corey, that's the sound of superheated air. Actually, I think. Oh, there. Yeah. There Uh, we go. That's the sound of superheated air. Superheated, hotter than the surface of the sun for a few moments, creating thunder. Because, Margaret, it's it's time for the lightning round. Ooh. Are you excited?
1: Yes, very excited. Are you sitting down? yes
3: stand up okay what's your favorite animal dogs why
1: because well i have one sitting in my lap this whole time and she has not made one sound there you go what's
2: not to love (laughs) do you have a favorite tattoo
1: um i like uh i like all of them but um i think i like the ones on my back just because i can't see them i'm not even sure what they are i think there's a peacock back there
2: oh there you go pink or blue
1: i uh i like purple
2: there you go. Ooh. All right. Do you have a fashion icon?
1: Um, I think it would probably be, um, hmm, who would be a good fashion icon? Maybe uh, David Bowie. He's a good icon. Oh, one. wow. There you
2: Ooh. go. Yeah. How yeah. about a, a science icon?
1: I would say Bill Nye. Well, there
2: you go. Thank you. Yes. A comedy icon?
1: Um, uh, Probably always Joan Rivers.
2: Margaret, this has just been big fun. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much.
3: It's been great having you here. I'm Bill
1: Nye.
2: I am Corey S. Powell. And remember, when it comes to the sexual part of our universe, Science. science rules. If you like science rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show, leaving the world a better place. So thank you. Be sure to follow me on the electric internet for information about when to call into the show. I'm at Bill Nye on, well, on everything, on the electric Twitter machine and the Instagram the and so on. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, Give us a call at 201-472-0785. That's 201-472-0785. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell and our own Corey S. Powell with extra production from Lisa Wang and Ashley Warren, who screened your calls today. Our engineer today is Jared O'Connell, mixing and original theme music by Casey Halford. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson, Chris Bannon is the chief content officer, the CCO of Stitcher. And at Stitcher, you know, science rules.
0: Stitcher.